Can the Minnesota Vikings win a game in Cincinnati for only the second time ever in the first time since 1992? It's going to be a difficult task as they go in and face the Bengals, who are also 7-6 and six and fighting for their own playoff lives. And we will be facing former Minnesota Vikings quarterback Jake Browning in a battle of the backups. We have Mike Santagata, also known as Sands, the master of inside zone and versus duo on Twitter joining us tonight to break down his Bengals and our Vikings in what should be a really fun game on Saturday afternoon. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Welcome to the Real Forno Show, hosted by Tyler Fornis, the managing editor of USA Today's Vikings Wire, writer for the College Football Network, publisher of Substack Run in Shooter, Host of the good, the bad, and the hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Score. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornos. And in an abnormal place, Dave is in the bottom right corner. And to my left, he is the film writer for Sports Illustrated's All Bengals. He is Mike Santagata, or better known to most of you, Sands. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. Odie is getting mad that he doesn't have his donuts, so I just got that for him. And we we are really excited about this game because the last time the Vikings played on a Saturday afternoon, the whole nation remembered the chaos that ensued as the Vikings came back from 33 points against the Indianapolis Colts to win last year. But this is a much different football game. The Vikings defense is playing out of their absolute mind and the offense looks like, like like it's been in a hospital for the last three weeks dealing with some kind of virus. It's just been pretty brutal. Um, I want to start with your Bengals though, because they are, I believe it's just a two game winning streak. They beat the Jaguars and then they honestly steamrolled a really good Colts team in, in Cincinnati. How high is this team actually riding? Do you feel really confident in what they're doing right now and that that's going to continue moving forward? Yeah, so I think a lot of this has been predicated on the run game and that working out for them and being able to protect their quarterback, play from ahead, play from neutral game, being able to use play action and for it to work. Um, All of that, if it continues, it's very sustainable, but... Once something, you know, you throw a wrench into that, possibly the Vikings defense having a good run defense and slowing that down. I think that's where there's some questions. Jake Browning, 200 plus yards after the catch last week, 275 yards total. He is doing a great job for a backup. I don't want to make it sound like he's not a great quarterback or, well, you know, maybe not a great one, but, you know, not doing great for a backup. And I think he is. But I think we also need to be realistic that some of the stats are a little bit inflated. And I think this game is the perfect test for both him, this offensive line who's playing better, and the run game to see if it's sustainable at all. We'll see. I, I've been on that mode of last week. I was very much into the, yeah, I think this is sustainable for this week because the Colts defense is what it is. But now you're playing against a good defense. I feel less confident about this being a sustainable offense and the defense is a whole other issue, but we'll get into it. Well, let, let's kind of continue with the offense. And you mentioned it, that it uh, over 200 of his passing yards last week 
were yards after the catch. Um, I did not get an opportunity to watch the game yet. That's on my agenda for tomorrow. But what kind of offense are we talking about with Jake Browning? Because obviously we know Joe Burrow. He likes to spread it out. They like to do a lot of like like quick game stuff and then really take some shots down the field. How much has that offense really been changed with Browning? Because Joe Burrow doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. He's not going to be able to fire like uh, missiles like other top quarterbacks in the NFL, but he has other traits that make him special and are able to elevate this offense. Have we seen any real modifications with because Jake Browning is under center? Yeah, you see the modifications of like I mentioned with the run game, but they're leaning on the run game more. They were last in rush attempts with Joe Burrow and then Browning's come in and it's ramped up a bit. And some of that is just that they're playing from ahead a little bit. They're playing in neutral scripts and the run game is working. I think it's the biggest thing is just when Burrow was in there, it wasn't very effective even with light boxes. Now it is. So they're getting to it more. They're getting under center more. They're getting to some max protection and some, tight splits a little bit more often. They're still running some of the Joe Burrow stuff, but they let Browning just hop right into the Joe Burrow offense against the Steelers, give them a whole week of game prep, everything. And it was a disaster. So they went, okay, we need to figure out what's going on here. Biggest thing. I don't think they've run empty at all the past two weeks. And that is a big staple of uh, a Joe Burrow offense is to be empty and spread things out that way. Nothing in the backfield, difficult on the offensive line, difficult on the quarterback. Browning said, let me have it. And then, <laughs> well, he had it. It didn't work. But um, they're finding stuff that he's good at, too. It's not like it's all play action, all this other stuff. He is dropping back and reading out some concepts, more so in the Jags game than the Colts game. But, yeah, it is a bit different. There's a lot more under center play action stuff than there was with Burrow. There's a lot less drop back concepts. And I really know that because I was, I wrote my article yesterday. I need to find drop back pass clips um, for the guy I was writing, uh, one of the guards. And the entire first quarter, zero clips that I could use. I was like, I need kick slide clips. It's like, well, nothing in the first quarter. And in the second quarter, we got six. So I was like, okay, this is, this will work out, I guess. So uh, my big one of my big questions with this offense and specifically when we're talking about the yards after the catch element and that's something that the Vikings have done really well. They're forcing you to kind of check it down and have these guys make some plays. They do a lot of the drop eight coverage and they run a lot of really unique blitzes. A lot of that from the Kevin Seifert article that came out last week. A lot of it really stems from Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, which is uh, very interesting how they're kind of maneuvering everything and my question is, are are we seeing a lot more screens or is it a lot of like real quick game stuff, swing passes? And is are you concerned going against this defense that they're going to be able to swarm and be able to take out some of that? Yeah, it's a ton, it, well, especially last week, ton of screens. I mean, <laughs> that was a hundred of the of the yards was on two screens. I think it was a chase Brown <laughs> 70 yarder and a Joe Mixon 30, 40 yarder. Just, yeah, that's, that's going to be, <laughs> I don't know if that's sustainable, but the screen game, that's the one thing that's like, what's the difference? Well, they ran those screens with burrow. They just didn't work. And now <laughs> Browning goes in. I don't think Browning's doing anything to make these work, but maybe it's the defense. Maybe it's just not respecting him as much as they do burrow. It, it kind of worked. So that'll be interesting because screens are a way to beat the blitz. Although I don't think that Flores is sending a lot of zero pressure. He sends what's called hot 
uh, what I call uh, hot coverage, which is five men in the zone and six guys rushing, which is pretty cool. I don't see that at the NFL level very often, but yeah, the screen game will be interesting because I, I assume after last week, the Vikings are going to be very keyed in on don't get screened. And then also the other big parts of that game are don't get, don't get trapped. Don't get whammed. <laughs> Just be on alert. Um, I always think if you're a defensive tackle and you get trapped more than twice in a game, you should might not want to be out there. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's somebody else that should be in there for you should know what's coming at that point. But yeah, the screen game is going to be huge because I think that's, man, that's one of the keys because that'll slow down pressure if it works. And on the other mm-hmm. end, if the Vikings know it's coming and they bring the pressure, but they just have a guy peel off with it, that now you're screwed because <laughs> that screen game's not going to work. Where do you go to from there? And that's going to be a wasted down, if not worse. No, absolutely. And I kind of want to talk about Chase Brown, fifth round pick, really emerged in his final season at Illinois. I believe he led the nation in rushing. But one thing I noticed uh, kind of watching his film, there wasn't a lot of contact balance. He wasn't breaking a ton of tackles. Has he really emerged as the heir apparent to Joe Mixon? Or is that kind of still in flux on how you feel about his progression so far in the National Football League? You know, he's very different from Joe Mixon. So I don't know if he is the heir apparent. It feels like this might be the what the backfield looks like for going forward. They want to have a smash and dash thunder lightning type combination back there where Joe Mixon, he's going to do some of that stuff that's hard on a running back duo inside zone, you know, the two concepts there, but just stuff that is like, you're probably getting four yards and you're going to have to run into somebody to get those yards and difficult reads in there as well. Duo. That's such a running backs run where you're just manipulating that Mike linebacker and cutting off of it where chase Brown, he gets more of the designer stuff. He gets the wham plays, the trap plays, the stuff where, Hey, you're going to hit this in the a gap against the Jags. It was a lot of bend plays, which is a, you run zone one way and you have the tight end sift across. It's not truly split zone though, because the read is there. It's you're always going to cut this back Um, instead Mm -hmm. of trying to read it out, C to B to a, and then backward, you just go on my third step. I plant on that foot and we work to the open hole from where that end uh, jumped forward. So all that designer stuff kind of helps because now when he got stuff early in the year, it felt like, okay, the game's moving a little fast for him. They put him on a wide zone concept and he misread it. They put him in a, uh, they put him in a pin pool concept and he misread that as well. So he kind of got benched for a little bit. Then the buy hit, he got injured. That is an Ibanez, which is great for you. <laughs> um, but you put him in pool, put him in wide zone. It didn't work. But now when you put him in there, you just want to utilize the speed, utilize the athleticism. And that comes from let's define the read for him and let him just go be an athlete in space. I think the contact, contact balance absolutely is an issue. And that was something I had an issue with <laughs> him. And it's like, I don't know if he'd be the short yardage guy. I don't see a lot of power and he doesn't really stay on his feet if he does get hit. But I tell you, if he gets in the open field, you got home run speed. And then you ran a four, four. And I was like, I think he's four, three. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked. It worked because he had the second fastest next gen stat speed out of uh, the entire season last week on a screen. And, guess it is four three then he's got home run speed i think if you can get him in the open field not have him have to deal with guys right in front of him at the line he can be gone he's been a little elusive too i think Mm -hmm. 
the contact balance and the power aren't there, but he can be a bit elusive. And he made a guy miss on the screen to finish it with a touchdown rather than just a big play that he falls over. And well, nobody's playing in fantasy, but that's the classic, like your guy fell down on the three yard line. And now he's going to go get subbed out because he needs some oxygen. <laughs> yeah. I, I find Brown a very fascinating idea and, especially paired with Mixon, I, I do think that's a really fun duo. I want to kind of merge out to the wide receivers. We know Jamar Chase was limited today. It sounds like he's going to play just like his former teammate, Justin Jefferson. How is that wide receiver core looking? It's been beat up a little bit this year. Higgins has missed some time. Um, Chase is injured right now. Tyler Boyd just seems to um, have the fountain of youth, and he's just always consistent from the slot. How How do you feel right now about this group going into week 15? Well, Jamar Chase is Jamar Chase, uh, conservatively, maybe a top five receiver. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I can go lower than that. <laughs> and I'd probably end up going a little higher, but you know, he is what he is and he's, he's a beast. He's gonna be hard to cover. He's against the Steelers. Uh, half of his catches were off tip balls. And I think he had 80 yards. So they got tipped at the line, tipped somewhere else. He plucks it, and he usually makes that first guy miss and is able to keep chugging along. Uh, T. Higgins, yeah, that was frustrating. Where Burrow's injury affected him a lot weeks one through four. And then right when Burrow started getting healthy, Higgins broke his ribs. And that had an effect on him. And then it feels like once he got healthy, they're both healthy. It lasted for one game against the bills and then Higgins pulled a hammy and then burrow is now out. <laughs> so, uh, that's been a really unfortunate year so far for him. He had a touchdown wiped out last week. Offensive pass interference called on him on eh, it's pretty weak, but it's fine. It, it was there, but you know, I'm of the belief always come into PI. They don't call it enough. So mm-hmm. <laughs> use it to your advantage. And Browning missed him on a deep ball that he was able to track and turn his shoulder and do what everybody was talking about, that Tyreek Hill play where he was able to turn and still make the catch, but it took him out of bounds instead of being able to take him for a touchdown because he got past the corner into his blind spot in the corner. No idea where he was down the field. Should have been easy touchdown, huge play for him. Instead, it's just a big play. Um, I I have faith that he could – be better but it is frustrating if you finally start ramping up and you don't have your quarterback boyd reliable ish i won't say ish just because the texans game he dropped the what could have been the game-winning touchdown instead they had to tie it up and that let the texans drive down and kick a field goal to take the lead with no time or win the game no time left Mm -hmm. so he I still think he's reliable. I still think he's a guy that they'll look to, but I'm not sure if sometimes it feels like the consistency thing is starting to slip away from him a little bit. And he's still a good third guy to have and a good slot receiver, Mm -hmm. but I don't think he's the type of guy that a lot of teams are really going to focus in on, especially now that, you know, Higgins and chase are there. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I also want to ask you about tight end as Odie, uh, is trying to grab his donut away from me. Um, we know that our our old friend Irv Smith Jr. is there. Uh, Drew Sample seems to have uh, really emerged in year four, which uh, is a, a really nice thing to see considering he was that selection was kind of looked at in, in a very negative light when it happened. Uh, how do you feel about this tight end position? And are they making a really big impact for this team? 
No, but <laughs> um, Irv Irv was tight end four last week. He was the he had Ooh. fourth most snaps. So he's he's been really relegated down the depth chart. You know, I feel like there were a couple plays early on in the year that just defined it, like a play he couldn't keep his feet in bounds on a big play that he should have caught on a, a hole shot that Burrow threw. And there was the fumble against the 49ers. The only bad offensive play I think that they had was they got to the goal line, threw him a bubble screen, and he fumbled. It wasn't just that he went down and didn't break the tackle. It was, oh, this is the worst thing you could have done. So it's kind of slowly gone downhill from there. For why it hasn't worked, I mean, I'm sure Vikings fans know him pretty well. But to me, it almost mm-hmm. just feels like what what value is the tight end when one he can't block, which is fine. He can't block in line. I think in space he's okay, but you know mm-hmm. that's a wide receiver. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of what it is. It's like he's six foot two. He doesn't make contested catches. He can't work the middle of the field. It's like okay. So what are we doing here? <laughs> I not really the idea of Herb Smith Jr. was great. But then once you put him on the field, it's like, what is this? Yeah, yeah. It felt – in Madden, he's great to use. And then otherwise, hasn't worked out. And I think there's a reason. Even though he's been healthy all year, mm-hmm. which is the one thing I think people kept talking about. is like, oh, he can't stay healthy. Well, he stayed healthy. and He's just slowly gone down <laughs> the depth chart. Drew Sample, on the other hand, I think – I think it's their best tight end. I know not receiving wise, but he it's, I don't see this a lot in the NFL. They use him as the pass protection back. They have him back there on third and long and let him pick guys up because he's got size. Why not use your tight end for that instead of a running back, especially if you know, they're probably not getting out into a pattern. Um, He's also been a good run blocker. Honestly, pretty good deal. They've got him, I think a one year, $2 million deal. And that I think he's outplaying that by being a good blocking tight end. And he's done okay as a receiver once in a while, once in a while he'll make a catch. Uh, I don't know if you guys all watched the bills game, but he made that long catch and run where nobody covered him. Cause this guy, green dog, this guy, green dog, we saw him stay in the block and then he just slipped out there and just ran <laughs> Taylor Rapp got <laughs> juked out by Drew sample, man. That's not a way. Ah, not a good way to live. But uh, the other guy that you'll see as their actual receiver. Uh, the last uh, guy was, you'll see as their actual. Go, uh, go, go, go. Uh, just, yeah, yeah. Tanner Hudson. You'll see Tanner Hudson as an actual receiver. And if you're playing like DFS stuff and whatever, uh, Tanner Hudson would be a guy that I don't know if I'm going to target him in this game because I don't think either team's going to score much. But last week caught a touchdown. He's a little sloppy in terms of knowing what he's doing, in terms of sitting down in the voids and staying there, not bouncing outside, um, running his routes at the right depth. But he's a big target. He's got good hands. He can catch outside of his frame. I think all of that leads to him being a guy that could catch a few balls in this game. And the past couple weeks, he's kind of taken what people thought the Irv Smith role could be, although that's if you think Irv wasn't going to be a full-time tight end like I kind of thought. So they kind of platoon it a little because they're still mostly 11 personnel. And they'll bring in Sample, run the ball with him, and then once in a while they'll bring in Hudson, spread it out, and try to throw the ball. Let's move to the offensive line. The Bengals have not necessarily had the greatest luck on the offensive line, but you can't blame them for not trying. They have tried a lot of different things, bringing guys like Lyle Collins. They just brought in Orlando Brown Jr., uh, drafted Jonah Williams, Jackson Carmen, but not everything's hit. 
Where does the offensive line sit right now? Um, I know PFF doesn't necessarily view them very highly, but we also know PFF offensive line grades, uh, as far as what their metrics are, are not exactly the most um, reliable. Uh, I know uh, Orlando Brown Jr. Jonah Williams are viewed the exact same uh, tied 49th with, I believe a 62.1 overall grade this season. I've, I've not had a chance to watch a lot of Bengals film. As I told you earlier, that's my, on my agenda for tomorrow. How comfortable are you with this offensive line? I know you just wrote about Cordell Volson, um, NDSU guy, go Bison. Um, that, where are they at? Uh, are they playing well? Are they playing better than you thought? Uh, kind of what's the, what's the status here? They're playing fine. Uh, they're playing better recently. I think the past three weeks, especially in pass protection, they're playing well. I would go that far. And I think some of that they're helped out by not being in situations where defenders are teeing off on them so much. They're probably also being helped out by, well, I mean, the Colts are second in sacks and DeForest Buckner's a great player, but it's not like I'm looking at them as if they're the Browns with Miles Garrett and, Zedaria Smith and all those guys. So I think some some of it's matchup based. Some of it is they're getting protected a little bit more than they were. I think being a Bengals offensive lineman is hard. Like I think when Burrow's in there and you're throwing the ball 70% of the time and you're going empty, so you're going five out in the protection and you only have five guys left in protection, it's a difficult way to live as an offensive lineman. It's like I'm this guy knows that we're passing here and he knows I don't have help. So I'm on an island with whoever nonstop in this game. And that's just difficult. So I think some of it has been the change that's helped them out. And some of it's just that they're playing better because they still do go five in protection quite a bit and let the running back release into a route. Uh, Just in general, Orlando Brown, he had an injury around week six, seven, groin injury, didn't miss any time. But it was clear he wasn't playing the same way when the 360-pound guy is getting pushed back and has no anchor. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like there's something wrong here. And <laughs> now it, now the anchor is a little bit more back, and he's looking a little bit more healthy. Uh, Cordell Wilson, yeah, I wrote he's doing better, especially these past three weeks. He's been a guy that has really improved where he was not – playing he was playing to be replaced early in the year and now he's playing as if you know like hey i'm gonna win my job back you know he never lost it but for the future like you guys don't need to go spend money and go find a guy or whatever i can be that guy so if he can continue that and be consistent going forward that would be ideal ted karras is a fine center i don't know what else there is really to say there (laughs) he's okay um i think the vikings they'll probably attack him a little bit just based off the way they play and Kappa, I think, is solid right guard. Jonah, solid right tackle. Uh, they're they're playing both a little up and down. I think Jonah may be a little less up and down, but Kappa a little bit more up, but also being a little bit more down at times, whereas Jonah has been fairly consistently pretty good throughout the year. Now, he hasn't faced a ton of guys. He faced TJ Watt, but he gets a lot of help. He might face... Is Daniil Hunter healthy? So that's always a question, I guess. Uh, but, okay, you'll probably get a lot of help <laughs> in that scenario. So I, I think they're playing all right and over for the entire year. And then when you look at them the past three weeks, they're playing pretty good. Is it just me that you're muted? 
It was muted because Odie was started borking at, at something he heard. I don't. I don't know. It, the look, French bulldogs bork all the time. Um, question though, it, you talk about how it's very difficult to block for Joe Burrow just because of the nature of the offense. Do you feel like the performance has, um, for lack of a better term, improved since the uh, Browning came in and they really had to modify that offense um, just for the sole fact that you're doing different things? Yes. Yes, that is, that is, that's what I'm getting to there is just uh, they had to change some things and that helped them out in terms of how they're going to want to play because the hardest thing to do as an offensive lineman for a lot of guys is to block true drop back pass sets. And now mm-hmm. they're kind of getting some of those out of there. Whereas with Burrow, I mean, that was a majority of the offense was him dropping back, dicing up the defense and working his way down the field. No, sweet. Um, we'll move on to the defense here in a second, Mike, and then then um, we'll I'll we'll talk about some Vikings too because I know that's that's what the people want to hear about. But I want to just let everybody know that thank you for like uh, watching the video, like, comment, subscribe, all the things. Tomorrow for all of our premium YouTube subscribers, Connor Rogers, NBC Sports is going to be on with us for at three p.m. now, three p.m. Central Time, starting our prospect series for the NFL Draft. It will be available for premium subscribers only for the first 24 hours, and then it'll be available to everybody. So if you want to watch live, subscribe today. And if you don't have the cash, that's okay. Like, comment, subscribe for free, and you'll still help us out. And we greatly appreciate that. Mike, I want to talk about the defensive line for a minute. I know you might be the world's biggest DJ Reader fan, and it's easy to see why (laughs) the dude is just an absolute monster. Um, Is he really the linchpin of this unit? Because... Kind of like when I end up watching like the broadcast copy of this team, Trey Hendrickson really pops off consistently. Um, who is the most important guy on this defensive line for the Bengals? <sighs> yeah, uh, it's one of the two. <laughs> That's a cop out. It's easy. Um, yeah, Hendrickson. It's probably Hendrickson just because he is their most consistent guy getting pressure. He's the only guy that has consistently gotten pressure, especially out of like the starting unit. I don't remember how many sacks, but at this point, I think he's top five in sacks. And, you know, it's really impressive to be able to do that. Reader, on the other hand, I, I do think like the tiniest step down, at least from last year and the year before, where I thought he was unquestionably probably a top two, three nose tackle. I think he's more around like that five top five ish range now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he gets got once in a while, which I don't think that happened almost at all last year. Um, I still do think he's going to make it really difficult to run against. And he's a guy that just provides clinic tape every week on how to defeat blocks, especially in the run game. He's added a bit as a pass rusher as he's gotten older, which is a little weird but I'm into it. <laughs> He's getting some pressure, getting some quarterback hits, not a lot of sacks or anything, but yeah, it's probably Hendrickson just because he is their reliable. And if he goes out, I feel like the pass rush might die. Whereas if reader goes out, the run game will probably be a little bit more potent, but some of that is also based off of who they have behind him rather than mm-hmm. just how good he is. Yeah, and some of the things that Reader does, it's it's a joy to watch because it's he's just so explosive for a guy who weighs like three hundred and thirty pounds, and the way he moves is it, that that's a guy I want to get a thick six. 
that I want to see him celebrate in the end zone and maybe do something like a worm just because he can. Uh, and you kind of mentioned the guys behind him. Um, Logan Wilson was is one of my favorite linebackers in the league and just how he plays. How important is he and that group in really being able to help out that defense and attack moving forward? I think Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt are kind of the litmus test in terms of is the defense doing well. When the defense is playing well, they're playing very well, especially Pratt last week was incredible, and the defense gave up six points. They gave up 14 points total, but you know six of that came from Browning throwing a pick six. So <laughs> that wasn't on them. Uh, I think – when I when I watch Wilson, I think he's really smart. I think he does a great job keeping his eyes on the quarterback, melting with his eyes and moving and getting in position to make a play and a turnover. Uh, and when I think of Pratt, I think of him kind of utilizing the athleticism, the former safety in him to run through openings, run with guys across the field, match guys in coverage. I think I think they're a good linebacker duo. I think the Bengals did a good job retaining them, especially. They're both cheaper than anticipated. So I think they're a good linebacker duo. I think each one of them is a pretty good player. I don't think that the either one is like a Roquan Smith, Fred Warner type out there. They both have their flaws, but they each both bring something unique to the linebacker room. And when the defense is clicking, they are playing at an extremely high level. Yeah, and the being able to get Pratt for the on the contract that you did, same with Logan Wilson. Um, just, just some masterclass, uh, contract work from, uh, Mike Brown. I want to talk about the the secondary here. Uh, you obviously lost Jesse Bates. That was kind of telegraphed from the beginning of last season. Uh, and he's been playing relatively well for the Falcons. How big of a loss has he been for this unit and how have they tried to replace his, um, both, uh, play on the field and, uh, leadership as well. Yeah, Jesse Bates relatively well. I feel like every other week I'm seeing him run a pick six back or something. <laughs> he's, he's been really good. So maybe he'll finally get that first team all pro. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, whatever. Uh, they've basically replaced him with what is essentially two rookies, even though Dax Hill was drafted last year. Dax Hill got no safety playing time last year. So this is almost his rookie year in that position. They put him at outside corner in one game that they needed to, and that didn't go very well because he's not an outside corner. Uh, they put him at nickel corner, and that was difficult because they went against the Bucks, and the Bucks kept moving Mike Evans and Chris Godwin over him. It's like, well, that's a really tough first game matchup. Um, but this year, I think he's been pretty good in playing in more of a safety role. They'll still use him in as a weapon in terms of some man coverage stuff and want to put him on maybe a slot guy or a tight end and they'll use him and Jordan battle on some blitzes. They started with Nick Scott. Nick Scott just kept missing tackles. Unbelievable, an unbelievable rate. So they had to make the switch, bring in Jordan battle. Jordan battle has barely missed any at one point. He didn't miss any tackles, but I feel like he might've gotten charted with one last week. So he may have missed one tackle so far in the four games he started and he's been really good i think surprisingly good in terms of playing the ball when it's in the air being in the right spot processing everything and doing some of the little things fitting the run taking on wide receiver blocks he's been a strong safety in every sense of that word and he does play some deep stuff as well 
especially because you want to get Dex and use his man coverage ability, what he did at Michigan and his athleticism. So somebody's got to play deep when you have Dax underneath. And a lot of times that's going to be battle and he's done a pretty good job at it. No, that's, <clears throat> excuse me. That's interesting about, uh, um, Hill because of, uh, like when he played at Michigan, they kind of used him a little bit of everywhere. And I was really interested to see what his role would be. I was hoping that he was going to be available for the Vikings 32 and they ended up taking Lewis scene, which ha- has not worked out very well, but I, I was very interested to see how he would get used in the NFL just because he, kind of like a Swiss army knife. Does he really have a true defined role at this point? So I know you said they use him in outside corner one game. They've used him in a slot. Is he a true free or are they kind of using him still as like a chess piece? Yeah, they kind of use him as a, I think he is a safety and those games where he got thrown into those roles did happen last year. This year he has pretty much only played safety, but then when it gets to like third down and stuff, they'll move him around like, a Swiss army knife, a chess piece, whatever metaphor you want to use, they'll use them in a variety of ways. And that's carried over sometimes some mixed results. Uh, sometimes some tight ends get some length on him because he is not the biggest guy, but I do think that he is a safety and he has versatility to be used. However they want, especially, you know, obvious passing downs, things like that, where, you're not worried about him being in a run fit or something. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be keeping my eye on him all game. I want to shift uh, focus here to the Viking side of the ball. And why want your take on the, the offense. The offense has obviously been pretty anemic the last couple of weeks. Things with Josh Jobs haven't worked out. Some of it his fault, some of it not. There were six drops uh, before he exited the game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, in your viewings of the Vikings and kind of uh, your understanding of where the team is, how do you feel about facing this offense? Are, are you worried that Nick Mullins coming in? And in my opinion, he's kind of like a, a great value Kirk Cousins in that they're going to run the offense very, very similarly. Um, it, do you think that it, that's going to be a worse matchup for you than you would have gotten with Josh Dobbs? Um, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I, I feel like if I am the Bengals, I, I I'm probably not too worried about either guy. It could, they could both do some work. Now, some of this is I watched the past two Vikings games. Yeah. <laughs> so um, not good. Not great. Uh, a walk-off 3-0 winner. <laughs> That's a baseball score. It's great. Um, but I do think that um, – I think maybe you're a little bit more worried about Mullins because you already faced Dobbs this year. I think that would be the one thing about it is that you faced Dobbs, you kind of slowed him down, and the Arizona Cardinals didn't get a ton going. They got a little bit going versus you haven't played Mullins and maybe guys in structure where it's being designed up for them, maybe that's going to hurt them more than a guy who can kind of create, especially when you think about a defense that plays against Lamar Jackson twice a year. Yeah. So it feels like almost no quarterback in terms of what they do outside the pocket is going to scare you as much <laughs> as what that does. And they're oh, yeah. pretty trained, pretty trained and trying to slow that down. So I think if I had to pick one, I would just, have them put Dobbs back in from the Bengals because you know, you've, you've played them, you know, the idea you get the tendencies, you have everything else. Mullins is a little bit, has a little bit of the wild card to him, even though we're talking about that as great value. 
Kirk Cousins wild card, but it's still something they haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Hey, he is the fastest quarterback to ever reach 4,000 yards. I think that's the stat, and it only took him 13 games. But the record hasn't bared itself out. I think he's 5-12 and 12 as a starter, and a lot of them were for those really bad 49ers teams that Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt. Um, I'm really intrigued to kind of see how this ends up manifesting, but I have to ask you a really difficult question. Are you ready for this? No. Who Who is better, Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson? And you have to answer. Oh, um, probably Jefferson. He's had the stats, and I feel like some of the uh, – you know, I do feel like Jefferson could be more consistent with his ability to create some separation, get open – and work the middle of the field that way. I don't think that Chase is bad in those areas, but I don't think he has the same level of movement ability and setting his stuff up. I think Chase is more of a bulldog, and he uh, kind of is a little bit more boom-bust, although he's been more consistent as he has continued in his career. I also think that, I mean, we're talking about this right now in their careers. It's probably like 51-49 on who has the better (laughs) career going forward and maybe you lean chase because at least he does have well i don't know how the kirk cousin situation is planned out right now but you know he has his quarterback situation figured out for the next however long mm-hmm. he wants to be in cincinnati whereas jefferson has a little bit of that turmoil to him um but yeah if i had to pick one i'd start with jefferson i think just because the consistency route running getting open and being able to play through contact length etc he's got a little bit more there I, th- I think jefferson i won't say anything i'm on a vikings podcast because uh, <laughs> tyree kill has been incredible too we'll say top two receiver for jefferson him or hill pick one i was rhetorical rhetorical yeah i really think you could kind of group like the top four or five receivers depending on how you view adams yeah. and his age and kind of um i how much you blame him for how much things have declined in Las Vegas, because it's obviously not all him. And I don't even know if it's any him. I haven't done a full deep dive, but they're all kind of in the same bucket where it's, it's almost like, what do you prefer? Do you want the speed of Tyree kill? Do you want the, just the, I'm a man of Jamar chase, the technical savvy of Adams or Justin Jefferson, who can make a cut without slowing down. And just that uh, he's honestly Gumby playing wide receiver and unfortunately, Gumby got hurt last week and just speared in the in the shoulder and ended up being a chest injury. Josh, one of the weird things. Yeah, that was one of those Josh Dobbs hospital balls. And I was like, okay. Ooh. Ball placement has been a real problem for him ever. I mean, it's been a problem for him his entire career. It's been a really big problem ever since he came in uh, to the Vikings. And I'm very intrigued at uh, kind of what Mullins will bring with a full week because I, there's only so much you can do with with half a quarter, but half a quarter looked pretty good. Um, what, what do the Bengals kind of have moving forward, Mike? Uh, they are seven and six. They are one of eight teams competing for three wild card spots. The, the division, I'm not going to say it's completely out of reach, but it feels pretty out of reach. Three games behind Cincinnati or sorry, not Cincinnati, Baltimore, Baltimore is, um, Number, the, probably getting the number one seed at this point, considering how everybody else at the top of the conference has been playing. Like, how how confident are you that this team will make a playoff spot? And kind of does their schedule get, give them favors, even if they lose this game? If they lose this game, they probably don't make a playoff spot because I think with their AFC record, they're not going to win very many tiebreakers, and because of that, they probably need ten wins for that seven spot instead of nine. Um, yeah, rough. Uh, 
They play the Chiefs. That's the one thing that's holding mm. me back in terms of yeah. Let's just say the and the Chiefs haven't been the Chiefs, but they're still you know good. <laughs> uh, they're not a bad team. They're eight and five, and the Bengals haven't done a good job covering tight ends, which that's an issue this week with Hawkinson. But that's a bigger issue I feel like with Travis Kelsey too. <laughs> he might be the only weapon, but if they can't cover tight ends in general, even if that's the only guy out there, well, the Chiefs' offense might have a resurgence. So. I feel like you should predict or at least count like maybe a 25% chance the Bengals beat the Chiefs. And from there, it feels like you need to win the other three games. You need to beat Pittsburgh, which they didn't. You need to beat Cleveland, which they didn't. You really need to win one of those games in my mind because I, I don't want to see them go winless in the division. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be pretty sad. Uh, they've had a ton of issues with Cleveland. I'm not that confident they make the playoffs, but this sure is fun, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> See the, the nice part about not having our quarterbacks is we're just kind of playing with house money and whatever happens, as long as the games aren't bad, like last week's game was brutal to watch two, three weeks ago. It was even worse against the bears because it's the bears. I mean, they did beat the lions last week, but they, they didn't look that good <laughs> against the Vikings. So, you know what? If they miss the playoffs, Hey, maybe you can uh, luck yourself into Brock Bowers in, at like pick 12 or something. And then give Joe Burrow another fancy toy to play with, which honestly would just be unfair, but nothing in life is fair for Vikings fans. Well, the Vikings probably wouldn't play the Bengals with Bowers. I don't know when, Oh no. Is it? I'm trying to think. I think we're still another year away from the NFC North, AFC North uh, divisional matchup. So they wouldn't play next year. I don't think. I think um, they played in 21 so we're two years away, and then the Vikings will be going. They will be hosting because um, they have actually. This will be the ninth time that they played in Cincinnati, and it'll be the fifteenth game that the two teams have played against each other. So the Vikings have only played six games at home, but they've also won all of them. Well, this is uh, you mentioned it. This will be only the second time the Vikings win in Cincinnati if they can pull that off. So it's mainly just been home teams winning this. Although it's also teams that only play each other once every four years. Although now, sometimes two years. I know it's it's nice that they have this kind of rotation. Um, before we let you go, um, I want your prediction for the game because I I'm even struggling right now to try and figure out. Uh, how to parse this out right now. The Bengals are three or three and a half point favorites, depending on the sports book that you look at. And it, it's really going to come down to how much do you trust, in my opinion, this Vikings offense and can the Vikings defense keep it up? Because I, I think the Vikings are their own worst enemy. They will either win you the game or they will completely lose you the game. Um, and as, as much as I think the Bengals are a really good football team, I, I think it's going to depend more on what the Vikings do or don't. As, that's, that's just kind of been our narrative all year. Um, are you going to win the game or are you going to lose it? Um, how do you feel about this game? And um, uh, who do you have, Bengals or Vikings? Okay. I think it's going to be low scoring. Um, this is kind of a safe safer space for me to say these things. I think this is the game the Bengals offense comes back down to earth. I think I – think the way that the Jags and the Colts play lend themselves to a nice outing. And it was better than expected, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty worried about Browning facing a lot of blitzes. 
being pressured. He's been bad when pressured, even during the streak, but he's been really good when protected. I'm worried about the offensive line being able to pick all this stuff up, all this crazy nonsense that the Vikings do. <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking it's going to be a low-scoring game. I still think the Bengals win, and the part of me that is making that happen is mainly that I watched the 3 nothing game, and I'm like, can the Vikings score, even <laughs> in this situation? Yeah. And I think they will. I think they will score. I'm not going to predict a shutout or anything. That'd be wild, because um, I don't think the Bengals' defense is awesome. I think that they're playing below expectations for the most part. I think it'll be something like 17-13. And that doesn't sound like that joyful to watch, but I think, you know, 17-13 Bengals would be my prediction for this one. And the over-under was set at like 39 and a half. And I was like, man, Mm -hmm. these two offenses, it feels like a little too much. (laughs) So (laughs) I threw a little something on the under. (laughs) You know what? If Minnesota was a betting state, I would have done the exact same thing. Mike, it's been great to talk to you today. Um, I wish we could do this more often, but it's it's a little tough when the Vikings and Bengals don't end up playing each other more than at minimum every two years. Um, where can the people find you and your awesome work, and what do you have in the works for us? Finally, mostly on Twitter X, whatever, uh, Bengals underscore Sands. Promote everything there for the most part. If you don't have that for whatever reason, then check out Sports Illustrated is all Bengals and find my one article a week or so or uh, listen to the podcast. It's always game day in Cincinnati. Perfect. Uh, and if you want some more Bengals insight, I recommend you, you go do that. You and Lindsay do a really good job. Uh, Dave, welcome back, sir. Thank you. It's a good you show. Any- um, yeah. I'm hoping that uh, I expect, much like Mike, that it's going to be a relatively low-scoring game. Nothing too spectacular. It'd be a surprise if it was. What's the weather supposed to be like Saturday in Cincinnati? I think it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be pretty nice. I think it's check. like, if, uh, when I checked earlier today, it was like 56 degrees, eight like eight-mile-an-hour winds. Not too bad. Mm-hmm. And Mike, what type of guitar is that behind you? You had the whole chat buzzing about <laughs> that guitar earlier in the show. It looks like a Gibson. Okay. It is an Ibanez acoustic electric I've had since I was, uh, I think, 17. My dad got it for me forever ago. Just restring it and uh, keep rolling. It works. Well, actually, the electric part doesn't work anymore, so it's really just an acoustic with a weird pickup in the middle now (laughs) because (laughs) the battery corroded the inside. But other than that, it's great. It sounds nice. Well, that's cool. Take it to a shop. Maybe they'll be able to fix it. (laughs) I'm cool with just the acoustic. I don't even have any up anymore. (laughs) (laughs) As long as it plays good music, that's what matters. Um, I did see one thing today. When it comes to giving up explosive plays, the Minnesota Vikings defense is number one in the league at denying them. The Cincinnati Bengals was 32nd at denying them, meaning they are the number one team giving up the most explosive plays in the league. That could be fun when it comes to Saturday. Yeah. A lot of that's missed tackles, some backside pursuit, and uh, some bad play overall. They have just not played up to their standard. But 
you know, <laughs> uh, this is not the offense that I'm terrified about it happening. If this, if they, if they get seven explosive plays in this game, I feel like that is just like, uh, all right, let's just shut it down from here. <laughs> <laughs> I got one last question. What uniforms are the Bengals wearing Saturday? It's going to be black on black, and the crowd is also going to be a blackout. So try and do all black. I was there for the for the, the stripe, the jungle. The it was a stripe, so you had a section. You're either orange or black. I was in the orange section, which is the harder section. Black section is so easy. Just bring a black shirt. Orange section is like <laughs> I gotta search for something here. <laughs> oh, that's cool yeah. to know. Yeah, the, those uh, those themed uh, game days are really fun. They I don't think they've done a stripe one at US Bank, but they are doing their second winter whiteout on Christmas Eve, which will be real cool. They even paint the end zones white. Like, and I mean, they have the little box to signify what's out of bounds and what's not. But it's it's a pretty cool atmosphere, and they got the fake snow and all that fun stuff. You need fake snow? Just bring it in from outside. Fake snow. <laughs> It's been now, well, more. That's why we have the indoor stadium. Well, we actually don't have no snow on the ground. Oh, I know. I'm I'm crossing my fingers. I want a green Christmas. I am Grinchy like that. I don't want snow. I want a green Christmas. It makes I, things yeah, so I much hate snow. This is this is the one good thing about uh, climate change, right? Is that you know, <laughs> less, less snow, a little nicer. I wish that was selfishly. The case. Minnesota actually had their record snowfall last year at like 104 inches um, in the oh. Twin Cities. Yeah, it wasn't fun. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> thanks a lot for joining, man. Uh, make sure you check out um, It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati, uh, his podcast, and get uh, even more in-depth on this Bengals uh, team and the, their matchup with the Vikings. Like, comment, subscribe, and don't forget, premium subscribers, tomorrow, Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time, Connor Rogers joining to talk about Malik Neighbors, wide receiver from LSU, and Jared Verse, the edge rusher from Florida State. Everybody else will get it 24 hours later. So if you want to watch it live, become a premium subscriber. Don't forget to all bloggers on Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. No? Oh, that's right. Just the post game show on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. And Darren will be joining us live at the two-minute warning as we are. Watch it with you, the viewers, and then we react. The coolest post-game gimmick in all of sports. From Mike, from Dave, I'm Tyler. The one thing we say, Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community. And we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. Skull, everyone! This has been a Vikings First and Skull production. Part of the Fans First Sports Network.